You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 176. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com for our Your Stock Artake segment, and we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. The band is back together, the calendar has turned to September, and we are taking you back to school this week. In keeping with the back to school theme, Brennan will start by defining the rule of 40. And that's not referencing the idea that it all goes to crap after you hit 40. Or his favorite movie, the 40-year-old version. Uh, the, the, the rule of 40. It hits home. The, 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 the rule of 40 is a commonly used metric when comparing SaaS companies and is a simple framework that balances revenue growth versus profit margins. Brett is going to take a quick look back and review one of our more popular stock versus stock battles of the past couple of years, which pitted two hot at the time renewable energy companies, Greenlane Renewable, symbol GRN on the TSX, and Zebec Absorption, symbol XBC on the TSX against one another. Greenlane won the battle at the time, but neither met our criteria. Brett will take a look at where they are both at today. I will hit the mailbag and take a quick look at one of the hotter TSX Venture stocks this year, Patriot Battery Metals, Inc., symbol PMET on the TSX Venture, which has seen its share price jump from the $0.55 range to just under $7. What is driving the gains and is it sustainable? I'll let you know. Finally, in our Your Stock, Our Take segment, Aaron reviews NVIDIA symbol NVDA on the NASDAQ, the world's top designer and manufacturer of GPUs or graphic processing units. The tech giant has seen its share price slashed 60% from 2021 highs and recently released ugly Q2 numbers that helped pour gasoline on the recent tire fire. Aaron lets you know his thoughts on the company's current valuations. So let's get into it. I'd like to welcome my co-host today, Aaron Brennan, Brennan, the Killer Bees, how you doing? Doing well. Back I'm, to school for Brennan, right? You're going uh, yeah. to grade seven, eight? Yeah. Yeah, yeah grade, grade for seven. Middle school, right? Yep, yep, big I'm school, just... or big year. Parents uh, drove me to school this morning. Yeah, yes, it was good. Nice. My mom packed yeah. me my lunch. Colleen, she's a saint. I've said that many times. <laughs> but yeah, that was oh, funny. The, uh, yeah, my favorite no, movie we... there. Aaron, you got the kids off to school this morning. Yeah, first day, first day back at school. So my youngest is in kindergarten. That's uh, it's yeah. a big move forward for the family. You got two kids now in elementary, one drop yeah, off, one pick up. So that will be that'll be a nice little time saver. But so far, so far, so good. It's, yeah, uh, for sure. Gradual reentry, probably. Gradual reentry. So it'll be period. six months, about halfway through the year before it's you know full day kindergarten. But yeah. No, it's about yeah. three weeks. Three weeks of that. 
Yeah, my daughter, we got off today. She's in grade two, which, you know, I think it's crazy. It is way too fast. It's not. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, it's cool. No doubt. It's good. So everybody, it all the, uh, the parents out there, the rest of you guys, like Ren and Brett, don't really matter. So. But no, this is just, kidding. this is just uh, gibberish. No, no, yeah, it doesn't matter to them is what I'm really saying, right? So, but yeah, back to school is a crazy time. And uh, we wish all the parents out there good luck or maybe have some time uh, to yourself for about 10 minutes during your day. So let's, should we, uh, is there anything we want to talk about? We got like a really, you know, packed show today. So maybe we should just get into... Um, we can get right into it. I mean, there, yeah. there weren't a lot of really important things that I thought yeah. that we needed to talk about on a macro level. There, there is a bank of Canada meeting coming up. The expectation yeah. is that rates are going to go up probably secret, uh, on Bay and wall street. Everybody just basically at the end of August, nobody's even anywhere. They're Essentially yeah. volumes of the year. Everybody gets the hell. Out it's of back to market. school, but it's back to yeah. the markets as well. So the last, I mean, right August is, so, is like dead time in the market so there'll be a lot more to talk about in terms of newsy items in the next podcast but we've got a ton of actual individual companies and some educational it's back to school brennan you want to take us back to school to start and get to the rule of 40 i would love to yes so the rule of 40 um I learned about the rule of 40 not too too long ago it was probably about two years ago uh and uh yeah, it was Ryan, you know, taught me it. And I thought that it would be good to kind of teach people what it is. Uh, because I had no idea what it was at the time. So let's go back to school. So the rule of 40 is a commonly used metric when comparing SaaS companies or software as a service companies, and is a simple framework that balances revenue growth versus profit margins. And essentially, it's a rule of thumb to quickly determine the health or attractiveness of a SaaS company. So for a quick general example, if a theoretical company has 20% revenue growth and profit margins of 20%, we would add those two figures together and the company would have a rule of 40 score of 40%, meeting the threshold of the rule of 40. Now, essentially all we're doing here is just taking the revenue growth and the profit margin and getting our score. So if a score is above 40, it is considered a passing grade, while a score below 40 means that the company fails the rule of 40 test. But let's go a little bit deeper here. So for the revenue growth, you can e either use recurring revenue growth or total revenue growth. If subscription revenue comprises most of the business's total revenue, we can generally just go ahead and utilize total revenue. And then for profit margin, it is common practice to use EBITDA margins or earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. And the reason being is because EBITDA tries to place companies on a common playing field by stripping out interest from debt, differences in taxation and accounting policies to approximate its operating cash flow. Now, generally speaking, there is a trade-off between revenue growth and high margins. For example, if a company has high revenue growth and low margins, it is likely because the business is investing heavily into sales and marketing, thus reducing margins. But of course, this is not always the case, but you can see there's a little bit of a balancing act that goes on between the two. So now that we know how it is uh, or what it is and 
essentially how to calculate it, let's look at a real life example from a couple of companies rated as monitor in our recent US SaaS software technology report, which was released to clients. So the two companies that I'm going to look at here is Digital Ocean Inc, D-O-C-N on the New York Stock Exchange. Essentially, this company operates a cloud computing platform that provides on-demand infrastructure and platform tools. Its solutions include website hosting, web and mobile apps, video streaming hosting, gaming development, and more. And I'm going to compare it with Palantir Technologies, P-L-T-R on the NASDAQ. Uh, Aaron's talked about this company a bit before, and it is a SaaS company that revolves around data collection and analysis. So I'm just going to quickly go over DigitalOcean and then Palantir. So this is all for the fiscal quarter Q2 of 2022. Technically, if we wanted to look at the year results or the 12 trailing month results, that would uh, work perfectly and it would actually smooth out any quarterly variations. But just for this, taking you guys back to school, I'm just going to look at the Q2 2022 results. So for DigitalOcean, revenue growth was 29% and they have an EBITDA margin of 34% in the last quarter. So you just add those together and we get a rule of 40 score of 63 or 63%. Palantir, on the other hand, has revenue growth of 26% and an EBITDA margin of 24%. Adding those two together, we get a rule of 40 score of 50 or 50%. So as we can see, both companies surpass the threshold of the rule of 40 with DigitalOcean score of 63, while Palantir score is 50. And based just off this one metric, DigitalOcean appears to be the more superior business. But of course, this is just one financial metric. We would look at much more than this to determine if a business is investable or not. But essentially, that is what the rule of 40 is for SaaS companies. And now you can consider yourself schooled. Right. So, yeah, no, interesting way to look at a company. One, one other point that I'll make is that a lot of SaaS companies also aren't profitable. So the rule of 40 is even applied if you're looking at negative operating margins, right? So if say a company is losing money, they have an operating margin of negative um, 20%, uh, then they would have to grow the revenue at a rate of 60% in order for them to pass the rule of 40. So it's, you know, on, on one hand, essentially what you're doing is you're looking for, for companies that um, have a balance of strong revenue growth and strong margin, some, some type of a balance, either, either skewed towards one or the other. Now, I don't know how you would look at it if say the company was, had, had high operating margins, but negative revenue growth. I mean, a company could still pass the rule of 40 under those circumstances. I don't think that's the point of the rule of 40. I think the point is that a lot of the times there's actually a negative operating margin on there. And the rule is trying to say that that's okay, as long as the revenue growth uh, more than compensates for that. But, you know, just, just a couple points that I'll also make. You had mentioned Palantir. We talked about Palantir uh, mm -hmm. on the last last week's po podcast. Specifically, we were looking at the company's stock-based compensation and how that impacted the, the financial reporting. So if you were to look at um, EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, not considering stock-based compensation, yeah, you're probably getting that 24% margin. If you're to include stock-based compensation, you're actually looking at a negative margin. So that skews the picture. So that's one thing to take in, keep, keep in, in, in mind that, you know, stock-based compensation can have a, a major impact there. Um, you know, another thing is that saying rule of 40, it is really kind of arbitrary, just picking 40, like, why is it 40? Why is it not the rule of 35 or the rule of 
45 or 69 50 wow. or yeah or something else right but I, I mean i think that you know just as a general idea looking for companies with um high revenue growth high margins if they you know on a combination if they pass the rule of 40 there's nothing wrong with that and then where does the growth come from right is it is it acquisition yeah. growth or organic growth right I mean, yeah in our case if you're doing 20% organic growth, it's typically better than 20% uh, acquisition driven growth because or even 40% maybe yeah. acquisition yeah. driven growth if it's going to exactly. be it, it short term be. or non recurring. Yeah. You know, unless there, there are some companies that generate so much cash flow, they're buying out of cash. So you know, that, mm -hmm. that is but that is a rare, a rarefied animal really that you find. So I mean, for us, it would be I mean, you'd like to see more organic growth. So where is your growth coming from? It's, it's a good metric to look at, but it's definitely like you want to look at where the growth is coming from. And, and Aaron said, you can actually have a situation where the company's not making any money and it's still passing. Right. Yeah. So, it's a great point. It's, you know, you gotta, I, th I think it's designed for companies that are balancing those two. Right. But you know, I get, you know, by, by the rule, you could see a company not making any money at all and just pass the rule. Sure. So it's a good summary. Thank you very much. You took us to school uh, to start September. And now, Brett, we're going to do an interesting segment here. We're kind of doing the way back track or way back, looking back at, uh, I, I, you know, kind of a stock battle that we did a couple of years ago, I believe, on Green Lane and, um, and Zebic. Is that how we say it? Zebic, right? I believe it I is. Think so. It starts with yeah, an X, yeah. so any, any word that starts with an X other than X-ray for me is just it's, it's difficult. But um, yeah, so Zebic absorption, where they were then and where they are today. When we reviewed them back then, um, you know, it was pitting two against each other. Uh, Green Lane uh, won the battle, uh, but neither of them kind of won out as a buy or anything like that from our research. We had actually just completed uh, our uh, renewable energy or clean or green energy report at the time. And there was a couple other companies that beat them out. Uh, you know, one of them was uh, Polaris that we have under coverage. And, you know, it's gone on to produce gains over that period. Whereas these two, I think I'm foreshadowing a little, they didn't make our criteria have not posted those gains. And we'll see how they did relative. But Brad, I'll let you go. All right. I am going to go through a follow-up on the June 2021 stock for stock on Green Lane Renewables, symbol GRN on the TSX, as well as Zbec Adsorption, symbol XBC on the TSX. At the time, we wouldn't consider either a buy, but Green Lane was the better prospect of the two. Green Lane is a provider of biogas upgrading systems which produce clean, renewable natural gas from organic waste sources. It currently trades at a share price of 75 cents and a market cap of 115 million at a trailing price to shares of 1.8 times. Zebic designs engineers and manufactures products that are used for purification, separation, dehydration, and filtration systems for gases and compressed air systems. It currently trades at a share price of 77 cents with a market cap of 122 million and a trailing price to sales of 0.8 times. Both companies have fallen significantly in price over the past year, Greenlane by roughly 50% and Zbic by roughly 75%, leading to the question, has the drop in price made the companies appealing enough? First off, Greenlane. The company is failing still to produce net income or a consistent operating profit 
However, the company has been able to consistently grow its revenue and grow its profit. The most recent quarter, Q2 2022, had revenues of 18.1 million and a gross profit of 3.9 million, up 44% and 34% respectively from the previous year. The company has a current sales order backlog of 40.7 million and a sales pipeline of 900 million. And the sales pipeline is just what they've quoted for, but they might not necessarily take on for a contract or receive the contract. A recent highlight is an additional contract worth 13.5 million in South America, which was announced after the recent quarter. The high growth prospects are supported by a strong balance sheet with a cash position of 23.2 million and no debt. However, that cash position has been declining quarter over quarter. Overall, the company has made strong top line growth since our last coverage, but is still failing to reduce profit, meaning it still does not meet our criteria. Moving to Zbeck, it is seeing significant revenue growth, but is running a net loss and operating loss. For the most recent quarter, Q2 2022, revenue grew to 44.5 million from 32.7 million in the prior year, a 36% increase. While operating loss and net loss were 21.3 million and 23.4 million respectively. The company does have an order backlog of 270 million, and as well as a net debt position of 37.8 million. Going forward, profitability should be able to improve as the unprofitable legacy renewable gas contract has been fully written down, meaning that all the losses have been recognized in income. As well, the natural gas segment has seen some restructuring with the aim of achieving profitability. However, the company would still be at a net loss without the impact of the legacy contract. Part of the company's transformation has allowed them to take on a $113 million contract with Summit Carbon Solutions for a carbon capture solution, which is expected to be delivered by the end of 2023. So until then, you will not see an increase in the profits. Comparing the two companies, Greenlane is still the clear winner with no debt hindering its position and being closer to profitability. Zebic may see some light in it, at the end of the tunnel by 2023, if it is able to successfully cut on profitable segments and capitalize on the large carbon con- carbon solution. As of now, neither of these companies would still meet our buy criteria. Good job. Yeah, no, it's a, a good review of those. One of the, like outside of the fundamentals, one thing that, you know, when I look at these businesses, like the, I, as I understand, like the biogas used to produce renewable natural gas often comes from like sources like solid waste, landfills, anaerobic digesters, water resource recovery facilities, and livestock farms, food production, all of those sources. Um, I'm just not sure it's the, I mean, it's good to capture that energy. It's good to use it into renewable natural gas. I'm just not sure it's the most efficient way that we have out there of producing, say, electricity, right? Or, or you know, if we're using gas or something. I, I just don't know. If it's well, Ryan, you you remember we actually spoke with the CEO of Zebic. Yeah, um, I think yeah, it would have person. been around 2018, um, maybe possibly 2019, when we're at the LD Micro Conference in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, and. You know, it was an interesting story back then. They were making improvements, yeah. um, moving towards profitability. And he had set a target. I think it was within a year or something of that, of the company being fully profitable. And based on the story um, that the company had at the time, it seemed very, very realistic. But uh, yeah. one thing that I noted is that the cost of renewable 
uh, diesel is is that their cost was extremely high. Um, so I wasn't sure how that was going to be in any way competitive. But in 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 regardless of that, they they have they've not they've not even come close to hitting their yeah. targets profitability. And when, when we and, looked at at the time, they weren't hitting their targets. That was the issue no. that we had, and we presented that to him, and he said, "Yeah, we got a little ahead of ourselves." It was a beloved but, stock for a short time, though. I mean, it had great revenue mm-hmm. growth. It had you know great EBITDA growth. Um, and, the brokerages, the boutique brokerages were all over this with massive target prices. And, you know, and, but, you know, they, they were always over promising and under delivering. There's tremendous revenue growth here. And they've you know, had that kind of business book backlog that's always looked massive. But, you know, if you can never, I mean, it just comes, we talk about this all the time. You can promise the world or you can have great revenue growth. This company has had good revenue growth. Zebek, we're talking about. Uh, but, never delivered on a bottom line, eventually you have nothing to fall back on and uh, the share price you know, plummets. And that's what happened in this case. And you know, they just don't meet our initial criteria. I mean, Green Lane potentially, you know, it hasn't mm-hmm. fallen as much, but if that's your, you know, that's but it's, it still lacks the, the cash flow, right? right? It still lacks yeah, the, it still lacks close. the profitability. Yeah. And I mean, I don't really care about a company racking up revenue and more revenue if they're not able to generate profitability on the bottom line. Like one thing that bothers me about the public markets is that, you know, I see the public markets as fundamentally being no different than the private markets. It's just, it's easier to raise money and that money should be raised for growth. Um, That's essentially the point. But what I don't like is when companies um, use the public markets to essentially fund their, you know, ever increasing net losses that never seem to keep the lights on and keep exactly perpetuating paying huge salaries to the C-suite, like paying huge salaries to the management teams, but you know, never really having the discipline to make a profit and likely because, you know, some of these quote unquote sexier stories have at times in the market when renewable energy gets hot, for example, they have an easy time raising capital. And then they just go into another cycle where they continually lose, promise, and never deliver. There are companies in that segment right now that are making really good money. You know, we have two or three of them under coverage. And they have done well over this period as opposed to this business not doing so well. Probably not the sexiest companies out there. Like we have a company that is water treatment that was in that report. Uh, A company, you know, renewable energy company that's actually producing electricity in Latin America. We talked about that. Um, you know, these businesses have been, you know, one of them pays a great dividend, you know, another one. And, and the point is there's an actual cash flow base there over this period since we've seen these, you know, the sector's been hot. These two companies have cratered in value. Those two companies have paid dividends and gone up. You know, it's that, that's what we want to see in our portfolios. And that's why when we put together that report, those are our recommendations versus maybe the flavor of the day or what looked like the sexy story at the time, because, you know, you had in this case, like Zebic ran up to what, 11, $12. It's yeah. at 70 cents now, right? Like that is a complete destruction of capital. If you're bit investing based on the story and not minding the store, which is the cash flow in the business there. So I think it's a cautionary tale of yeah. Hot at that time, is it going to be hot into the future? And that may make a good segue into my next segment here from the mailbag. Uh, certainly a hot stock right now, but does it have the underlying fundamentals to drive the business? We get questions on uh, resource companies all the time. 
some of the time we don't answer them because there's nothing really to dig into. In this case, you know, I'll go through this business quickly, not into too much depth, but I'll go through Patriot Battery Metals Inc. Uh, it's PMET on the TSX Venture. And just look at what they do and what has driven the share price and is there any underlying fundamentals to justify that. So it, Patriot is a mineral exploration company focused on the acquisition development of mineral properties containing battery, base, and precious metals. The company's flagship asset, 100% owned Corvette property located uh, basically in James Bay Corridor region of Quebec. Also, it has two gold prospects in Idaho. So there's no revenue here. It's an exploration business. You wouldn't expect to see some, but there's nothing really to analyze from a cash flow perspective. The net loss in the last quarter was 4.4 million. So we can look at the balance sheet as at June 30th, 2022, 8.8 .8 million in the bank. The accumulated deficit on this business is about 16.6 million. Uh, it's been around since I believe 2007. It's done a rollback in its shares. Uh, many of these businesses have that type of history. So what is driving the share price right now? Number one, good lithium drilling results uh, at its drill program at the Corvette property. Number two, it's a hot market for lithium or battery metals, uh, essentially, right now. Now, our take, we'd be very cautious. Shares have run up from the $0.54 cent range at the start of this year to $6.70 today, primarily on those positive uh, what look to be positive drill results. While the drill results are promising, positive drill results are a long way from delineating an actual resource that is worth building a long-term sustainable and profitable mine on. There are countless things that can derail a junior miner on that path, and we've seen it literally a thousand times derailed. While this rise looks dizzying in the, the segment uh, in this segment, junior resource companies, the drops are often just as dizzying, if not worse. We prefer to stick to cash producing businesses with growth, strong upside, but something to fall back on in terms of fundamentals when the tide eventually goes out. And in this segment, it always does. At this point, Patriot would not make our initial criteria. It's pure speculation. And we would look elsewhere if you want tremendous gains with some downside protection perfect Good. not much to say yeah there's yep. really not much honestly like you could tell this story i mean maybe patriot does find the next greatest lithium deposit um you know you'd be better off going to a geologist and even then they would likely tell you that it's very difficult to go from good drill results to a very profitable mine and, you know, this company has gone up on the back of what looks like very good drill results. Um, at least they're publishing, you know, they're good drill results. Um, now, whether that, that translates into any cash flow at any point in the next decade uh, remains to be seen. But right now, you're paying, you know, a pretty penny for a business that really doesn't have any underlying cash flow. And it's, you know, very speculative at this stage. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to our next segment. Uh, is that Aaron here? Yes, yes I think I'm going to talk Nvidia, about right? NVIDIA here. So we received a, a question from one of our listeners regarding NVIDIA. It's a, it's a company that we've covered um, or we've followed quite closely in the past. We never actually had an official recommendation on it. But one of, one of the you know best performing tech companies over the past several years until recently, at least, 
NVIDIA Corporation, the symbol is NVDA on the NASDAQ exchange. It's trading right now for about $137, and it's a $340 billion market cap company. NVIDIA is the world's top designer and manufacturer of GPUs or graphic processor units. And these GPUs are used in high-end PC gaming devices. Uh, they're used in data centers and also in automotive systems. In recent years, the company's GPU technology has also been applied to the development of complex artificial intelligence systems, including autonomous driving. A little bit of background, e e NVIDIA was the top performing tech stock for the period leading up to one of the top performing tech stocks in the period leading up to November 2021. Since then, the stock price has come down hard, as has been the case with many of the company's high growth technology peers. NVIDIA's stock price is down 60% from its 52-week highs back last November, and the stock is also down 24% since it released its Q2 results about two weeks ago. We took a look at the quarter, and at face value, the quarter did look pretty ugly. Revenue was $6.7 billion, which was down 19% compared to the most recent quarter, and up only 3% year over year. Operating income was down 67% and 51% respectively compared to Q1 of this year and Q2 of last year. And non-GAAP earnings per share were 51 cents, down 63% from Q1 of this year and down 51% from the same quarter last year. So these are some of the weakest numbers that I've seen from NVIDIA in many years. Um, but the decline in growth was not necessarily a big surprise to the market. Analysts were expecting about $0.52 cents in earnings per share, so the company's reported figure only missed expectations by about a penny. Q2 revenue was, was more or less in line with analyst expectations. NVIDIA did provide guidance for Q3. The company's expecting revenue in the range of $5.9 billion, and this would equate to a decline of 12% sequentially from, from the most recent quarter, Q2, and 17% decline year over year. When we look at the numbers by segment, we can see that NVIDIA's two most important end markets are data centers, which made up 57% of revenue, and gaming, which is 30% of revenue. It's really gaming where the company is experiencing weakness. Gaming revenue was down 33% in the second quarter to about $2 billion. Data centers, on the other hand, continue to perform very well with growth of 61% to $3.8 billion for the quarter. But the weakness in gaming is expected to persist into Q3, and this is why revenue for that period is expected to decline. Another thing that we need to consider with NVIDIA is the situation in China. There are two issues with China. One is the government's zero COVID policy, which has caused widespread disruptions in the economy, in China's economy this year. Uh, and this has impacted the, the financial performance of many, many semiconductor and computer chip companies. Another is China's relationship with Russia in reference to the current Western sanctions against Russia. On August 31st, NVIDIA filed an 8K form with the SAC and they disclosed that they had received notice from the US government that they needed to curb sales of some products which were suspected of reaching Russia through China. Other chip companies also received the same notice. It's unlikely, it's, it's unknown what financial impact this specific notice is going to have on NVIDIA and their financial performance. Um, but China is an important market for NVIDIA. Last year, the company estimated about $7 billion or 26% of NVIDIA's revenue was connected to China. 
So in conclusion, there is a lot that I like about NVIDIA in the long term. Its innovation in the GPU space is really unparalleled. And this has allowed the company to capture 80% of the share of the, the, the discrete GPU market. This is, this is critical hardware that is used in AI systems, including autonomous driving and also data centers. And we're, and we're very impressed to see that the company is continuing to grow its data center business as well. So when we look long-term, when we're looking three to five plus years in the future, all of the growth drivers of this company remain well intact. In the near term, however, there are uncertainties and the guidance for Q3 indicates that there is some that the financial weakness is not completely behind the company. So right now I would classify NVIDIA as a short-term hold, long-term buy. For people looking three to five years in the future, I continue to see this company as one of the top performers in the tech market. Um, you could start building up a position now potentially, but I'd probably start off with a quarter half position and then potentially add more down the road as the company comes out with more quarters. In the short term, looking the next two to, to six quarters, I'd say there's a lot of uncertainty. And until we start to see the revenues and the earnings grow again, or at least some of these uncertainties behind the company, I would be a little reticent about taking a full position in the stock right now. Yeah, it's an excellent summary. Um, you know, it's definitely was NVIDIA a high flyer and has seen a significant reduction. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it shows you can't pay anything in terms of multiple per stock, even a really quality business like NVIDIA. Yeah, and I think uh, NVIDIA's multiple, yeah, it had gotten up around 70, 80 times um, at its very peak. You know, now I think it's come down to probably about 40 times. Brett and I were actually talking multiple now. 40 times. Yeah. 45, 45. Yeah. Which is still, which is still premium, particularly considering that, you know, a lot of well, negative growth, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Brett is, yeah. I was actually chatting with Brett. He's, you know, fairly well-versed on some of the semiconductor stocks. So he had some, some insights into what he thought was going on with NVIDIA and some of the competitors. Yeah. So, um, for the uncertainties Aaron was talking about, there's quite a few actually for NVIDIA in particular. Um, first off, there's going to be no more GPU crypto mining. Ethereum's on the way out, out of uh, proof of work, which is what practically all the GPU mining is going on in about two weeks, mid-September. And with that happening, a lot of those gaming sales, even though they list them under gaming, a lot of them were going to cryptocurrency. They've actually been sued for this before during, I think, 2018, 2019. I forget which one was the fiscal year. But even if they say it's gaming, it not necessarily is. Even to their best of their knowledge, they might not be a fault. I'm not saying they're necessarily going to get sued. It's just something you need to be aware of. As well, they pretty much got a free pass with their 3000 series because there was such limited supply of GPUs during uh, the pandemic. And now they're coming into the first non-pandemic year. GPUs, they have a massive backlog of GPU supplies. So until about six months ago, impossible to get one for a regular consumer unless you're paying upwards of two or three times the retail price. And now they're about a quarter of the price they were then. So they're half the retail price. You'll see a 3090 for $1,000 now. They're $4,000 six months ago. So That's you're crazy. Yeah, it is. Uh, it was absolutely insane. And they were capitalizing on it. So they were ramping up their supply, ramping up their supply. And now they have a massive backlog. And this is a rumor, so don't take it with a massive grain of salt. But there's been a rumor that they've actually pushed back their 40 series for the consumer cards back about a quarter. So it was, a, it was expected to be about September, October for this. And now they're looking towards the end of the year for their release, 
which is a massive change when they have to push through all these 30 supplies. Their partners are going to be losing money and also those contracts will generally have some sort of a rebate on them. So if the like Gigabyte, MSI, those types of players, if they can't sell for the respected price that they bought for, they actually get money back from NVIDIA, which can hurt them, obviously. And then the other thing which um, Aaron is mentioning was the uh, uh, data center cards, which are blocked from China. I'm not sure on the specific cards, but those are essentially anything past the consumer card. So those are their A-series cards, formerly their Tesla series. And that's any of their data center cards, any of their AI cards. Those are prevalent in China as well, which it's, they are facing a lot in these next few quarters, to say the least. Like Aaron said, it's a hold. And I would really wait more than anything. I think I'm being more pessimistic than him. There, There is definitely long-term growth, but the short terms, I could see some big hits to their bottom line. Wait till some of that sorts yeah. itself out or you just, we have more clarity on what's going to happen. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly oh, good, what I'm getting points. at. Great point. Yeah, certainly awesome. a good idea. And you're not buying at a deep discount or anything mm-hmm. like that. Even like many people will look and this is just a general, you see a 60% decline in, in a high quality business with one that's been a high quality business and assume that it's on a deep discount, um, you know, with the elevated, the you know euphoric valuations we saw in 2021, like a 50, 60% decline has not reduced every company to just being like embargoed basement levels. Like there, there's some that you know need to be down 80%. And I know it sounds shocking. We've seen companies that are down almost 80% or 80% and they're still overvalued. In, in that range, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, and you're still, then you look at it and say, oh, this is still at a hundred times earnings, you know, like, Mm-hmm. the valuation that they were trading at and i just i can't stress enough of how much how high or how much the valuations got out of hand yeah 100 times earnings or still 20 times 30 times 40 times sales you know like yeah you had 100 the, times sales on business yeah then too. yeah like not just the earnings right like it just, yeah it's got to that and, and it's just yep. it's it's a company has to just continue to grow at hundreds of percent every quarter just to, to 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 uh demand that multiple valuation yeah okay well that'll do our show for this week um we're gonna look in the fall to have some interviews going for uh on on this show we're uh, looking to book those over the next couple weeks so um you know sometime in the next two months we'll get those on the show and uh definitely uh it'll bring a different perspective when we interview from these businesses smash that subscribe button uh, if you're on YouTube, go. If you're just listening to this as a podcast, go to uh, iTunes, rate and review, and subscribe, and uh, and everybody will be happy that I said that, right? So, anyways, <laughs> do that. Keep doing that, rate us, and we'll bring you the content every week. Thank you very much, and I wish you all out there profitable investing. Great. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>